Welcome to Smart Casual, Images Fashion Podcast in collaboration with Kildare Village, dealing with personal style in a way that speaks to you. Hosted by me, Fashion Director Marie Kelly. And me, Aideen O'Connell, Image.ie staff writer. And me, Dominique McMullen, Digital Editor of Image Publications. In our 20s, 30s and 40s, we're three women across three decades with three unique perspectives on how fashion shapes the world. Fashion and personal style are about a lot more than the clothes we choose to put on every morning. They're about the world we live in and they're about who we choose to be. There's a lot of talk when it comes to fashion and we certainly love a chat. Welcome to Smart Casual. Hello everybody and welcome back to Smart Casual where we have a special style-centric episode for you today. We are talking all things denim. From the perfect pair of jeans to tailored boiler suits, there are so many ways to wear the eternally stylish denim and we are going to talk about them all. So our guest this week is the young Irish designer Andrew Bell, who we will be chatting to about his career so far in the Royal College of Art in London and his plans for the future of his career, which we are very excited about. Uh, but first, what caught your eye this week, Aidy? So uh, it's Fashion Month and it kicked off with New York as per usual. And Ralph Lauren really caught my eye. And I'm, I suppose I'm kind of opposite to the Ralph Lauren aesthetic like I kind of like eclectic clothes lots of colour whereas this collection in particular was kept very minimal so it was gold black and white really classic shapes um, white shoulders pantsuits there was this gorgeous gold cape but I just thought it was so stunning and I think the really important thing with Ralph Lauren is that he takes the idea that he doesn't want to design for let's say six months ahead mm. so he wants the customers to see that you can see it on the runway and you can buy it straight away and you can wear it straight away. Mm. And I think he's definitely marketing to a new generation who are kind of a bit more aware of what they're buying. They want to get the tenure out of it. And what I also loved is that it took place in Ralph's Cafe in his Madison Avenue store. And I think that's actually going to be a, perm- in perm- a permanent place now in the store. So he wants mm. to kind of have a more 360 experience. So you go in and it's not just that's shopping. Interesting. So it's very similar to like, say, what Tiffany's have done with the Brexit Tiffany's mm. and the same at Matches Fashion with their townhouse in London. Mm. So I love that. And I think especially in such a landscape, like a retail landscape now, that's very difficult. Yeah. I think retailers really have to think outside of the box. So I love that. Mm. So I'd love to see it if I was ever going to New York. Yeah, mm. it's nice to see the yeah. creativity as Definitely, well. yeah. And you mentioned something similar a few weeks back as well of a yeah. more immersive kind of experience. Yeah, I think yeah. that's really, really important. Mm. Mm. I thought that was a lovely um, collection, but I think my favourite from New York Fashion Week so far was Acne. I'm a big fan of that brand anyway, but I thought it was, I loved the very strong kind of masculine hit off it. I thought the jackets were really directional in their cuts, but but wearable too. You know, it wasn't alienating, mm-hmm. but I thought it was really strong and, and lovely, amazing, strong pops of colour among all those kind of sober neutrals, which we all want in our wardrobe mm-hmm. in autumn, winter. But but he really, the brand really showed how you can incorporate like really vibrant colours within as well. So yeah. I thought it was really strong, really kind of appealed to my aesthetic. But my high of the week was slightly more personal because I found an amazing sale by <laughs> which I have to tell everybody about because it was so exciting but I am um, I'm a big sweater wearer as you probably know if you listen to this podcast or read image um, and I got a beautiful MM6 navy oversized sweater in an incredible boutique in Rathmines called Beautiful South um, just the other day and I think many women feel like at the beginning of February it's like the sales are over there's no point mm. but some of my best finds have always been at the very very end of the sale really? and, and this was one of them so I was very excited to find that 
That shop's lovely. It's, it's really near it's where I beautiful. live. It's yeah. beautiful. Oh gosh, that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, can't go in there too often. Yeah, it's lethal. Um, but and the Baptists were on last night as well, yeah. which was interesting. And um, I just wanted to shout out to Glenn Close because mm. I thought she looked incredible. She's seventy-one years old, which is incredible. She looks fantastic. She looks so wonderful. Um, I mean, 30 years older than me. And she if I looked like that on the red carpet, I'd be so happy. Yeah. I thought she just looked exquisite in, Al- in Alexander McQueen. I thought her hair, her makeup, everything was just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. she looked fantastic. And her skin mm. is amazing Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. She really, I just thought she looked stunning. There's a lot of older women these days who are who are really rocking mm. really the red carpet. original yeah. Yeah. looks on the mm. red carpet. Absolutely. But they're very much themselves like. Mm. Yeah, original. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Uh, my favourite pick was like the opposite of yours. I didn't even know who this girl was. I had to ask all of the young, cool, hip people in Image this morning. <laughs> uh, Camilla Cabello, who, for those of you who don't know, uh, sang that song Havana. He's nodding. <laughs> yes, thank you. I got that right. Um, she was wearing a like high neck, full length, long sleeved pink Barbie doll pink sequin dress. Wow. <laughs> and you'd think it wouldn't work at all. But she looked amazing. Stunning, yeah. Just stunning. And she had her hair back in a ponytail. There was no back on the dress, which I only saw after, you know, doing a bit of research on it. But it was just gorgeous. It's everything that you should you don't think would work. But you made it look so elegant. And I think it's because her hair was peered back. She always wears bangs. I think that's what made it look... Yeah. There was nothing else. And she let dark hair. Yeah. I feel like as a blonde, you couldn't it, quite get away mm-hmm. with that pink. You'd tough you too would like a Barbie doll. Yeah, tough to pull or off. Or if you had boobs at all, yes. you know, you would you would look I'll silly. have to Google her because I have no idea who you're talking about. No, well, I didn't until about four hours ago. So, um, yeah, it's, it's I, I also think it's a kind of reaction to me being pregnant. It's like I just want to be colourful yeah. and, you know, glitzy and Pretty all the things and... I can't do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I also, and this is going to drive people crazy, but I also did think Cardi B was kind of astonishing. I thought it was so like good. she looked like <laughs> she looked like Ursula, you know, in The Little Mermaid when she comes yes. out of yeah. the shell. <laughs> yeah. She did. <laughs> she was, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was vintage Moogler, which I couldn't wow. believe. And she wore this kind of like she wore like a, a a pearl belt with a pearl necklace and this like little pearl hat. She stuck to her theme. <laughs> she did. <laughs> she, yes. she could not yeah. be accused of like <laughs> not you no know, not going full full size with it. Um, but there seemed to be a theme there. Yeah. At the at just generally awards, but especially last night at the Grammys, of just like more is more is mm. more. That there was feathers and sequins and. Puff sleeves. I think the Grammys is always like that, isn't it? it? Is, yeah. It's very a much, little bit it? more um, extreme. Extreme, playful. Yeah. They want to make more of an impression mm. than, yeah. let's say, because looking at it in comparison to the BAFTAs last night, mm. like they were completely different. Mm. Yeah, they were much more style. understated. Yeah. Yeah. So our topic for this week, I think we're all pretty excited, excited. about. Very. Yeah. We're, fair to say, excited. It's one that we've been kind of building to for a long time. We've, we've wanted to this. talk about this for a while. Yeah. We? It's a big thing for women, I think, as well. And that is denim. <laughs> so I, when we talked about this, and we have a few times, I was saying the other day that I think I've actually stopped. I stopped wearing denim about two years ago, um, and I think that was because some part of me, and this isn't true, but started thinking of denim as not particularly like fashion forward. 
and not particularly comfortable. Interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, because I think I just relied on denim for so many years. It was just this like fallback in my wardrobe that especially I think when I started at Image, I started to really enjoy being a bit more creative about the outfits I was putting together and kind of thinking about them a bit more. Um, and of course, like now, like I said, I'm not right. Like when I see some of the most stylish people I know wear denim and they do it so creatively and so fashionably. But... I, I like I think for my whole twenties, I basically only wore jeans. I lived in skinny jeans. Like for the er, my early twenties, it was like Topshop and uh, River Island black skinny jeans. Whether whether were like big oversized shirts or like black kind of lacy things for going out, I was a big fan of the nice top and the jeans going yeah. out outfits. A classic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I remember later on in my 20s, I got really into high waisted jeans, which are much better for my figure. It was like an absolute revelation. I found this pair of Levi's and my mum was like, my mum tried to push me into high waisted jeans. Hi, mum, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she tried to push me into high waisted jeans all through my early 20s because she knew it would yeah. suit me. Now I, I never, I never wanted to. And when I finally gave in, I found this pair of Levi's that were high-waisted and this is dark indigo denim and like really thick, proper fabric. And they were the most flattering things. I still to this day are the most flattering things I own. They aged so well. I still could wear them. They're nicer now than they were actually. But I think that's what good denim gives you is longevity, is, you know, a great fit and longevity from that piece. I mean, my jeans have been in my wardrobe for donkey's years, you know. Yeah. And I think as well, there's this a weird kind of move towards things like jeggings and leggings and like athleisure and soft clothes mm. that I think people, there's a risk of people losing the kind of, you know, the, lose, losing an understanding of how amazing jeans like that are. That thick, you know, not uncomfortable, but like they're not soft cotton no. fabric. No, exactly. No. They have some structure to them, yeah. but they're not harsh. They're still, there's a softness to the fabric, but they have structure in them and too. And they mould yeah. you eventually. Yeah. The more you wear them, yeah. Yeah, and that's what mm-hmm. those Levi's I have have literally shaped to me now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could practically stand them up and see my <laughs> body, you know. <laughs> but I think that is the big difficulty with denim. It's actually finding that perfect fit for you because we are all different and I think I think what's so fascinating about denim is that it is really the most democratic of style items like everybody wears denim older Mm. women babies young women everyone of every size shape color race everybody wears denim so it's a really interesting one but it's hard work to find the the ones that work for you it it requires effort you know it is a bit like running 10k you know you, you've got to put the effort in and train and practice mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it is and then I always feel like when I find that perfect pair of denim it's I sort of feel like I do after a 10k run I feel like instantly thinner and slightly euphoric yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> that's kind of how I feel when I find those perfect oh my jeans my god that's brilliant but, yeah. but, but it takes time and effort and you know oh god, practice and, and planning you know mm. but there's a great quote from um, Saint Laurent actually from Yves Saint Laurent um, about about denim or jeans and I'm just going to read it out here it's he says jeans have expression modesty sex appeal simplicity yeah I think that's a great quote sums it up and yeah, I think that sex really sex appeal modesty simplicity yeah. all, in, all in one thing like yeah. that juxtaposition of sex appeal and modesty all in the one thing but they actually yeah. do they and that's offer, why they tick yeah. so many boxes Absolutely. They do do all those different things you don't expect them to do together absolutely that's yeah. why they are genius very good. Very, very good. <laughs> Sorry, that, that wasn't intended. <laughs> I had, just came out. It's funny, like, when I'm listening to you, Dominique, and you said you would have spent a lot of your 20s 
wearing jeans and def- like I have had an awful up and down relationship with jeans growing up like I remember I think I was thinking about this last day and I think a lot of it was when I was younger when I was in my teenage years and a lot of like fashion media and like advertising towards denim a lot of it was kind of as if denim was like this aspirational aspect and I always think of the special K two weeks to drop a dress size challenge oh my god remember that remember that and it was like if you eat your three bowls of special K a day you'll drop a dress size and all of the imagery and the ads were of this You're woman. Absolutely right. Yeah, putting on jeans. Putting on jeans. And I remember, I know exactly the ad in my head. She's standing in front of the mirror. She jumps into the jeans and like she feels amazing after dropping the dress yes, size. Yes, you would not get away with that today. You wouldn't get away no. with it today. That, and that was a huge thing. I remember, I think I even tried to do it. like, And I think in my head now, I look, I used to look at it as if... I had to do that. Mm. And I remember like going shopping and I hated going on the jean shop. It's like going for the bra shop. Do you know, you'd have to do it every once oh, in a while. It's, absolutely. It's and I remember work. I used to get them, I used to get pick up jeans in like a dress size smaller to like motivate me or something to lose weight. Oh, wow. And I think that, but that was what I was consuming. Like yeah. that's what I was seeing and I thought yeah. that that was the way it had to be. But then obviously as I got a bit older, I kind of went through my phase of jeggings. I will say I did. I did love a good pair of jeggings. <laughs> I just yeah. don't get the jegging thing. Marie's shaking just, her head now. I just thought they were the best thing ever because, like, you didn't have to tie a button. And, like, do you know if you're eating, you didn't have I to, like, untie the button. It's not and that ex- hard to tie buttons. <laughs> I swear. I literally was, like, just the ease aware that I had with them. Lazy dresser. Yeah. <laughs> I went through that phase. I eventually have come out of it now. And I've definitely got into denim a bit more. And it's like, it's when I find like the perfect pair of jeans. Like I will hold onto them and I'll wear them as much as I can. And I have, I think my holy grail jeans have to be the straight legs from Topshop. They were a big, great game changer for me. Because kind of when the style went away from like skinny jeans, which I would have worn a lot, kind of more the tighter style and then things got a bit more relaxed. I couldn't really find a pair because I couldn't get more with mom jeans. Mom jeans didn't suit me. They're really yeah. hard to really see. Really hard. No, they don't work oh for my me God. either. And yeah. they do that weird gape, like crotch yeah. thing and then they'd be gaping at the waist and yeah. then the straight legs, when I tried them on, just like fit me like a glove. Like don't do the gaping at the waist. They like streamline you and they're thick denim mm. and like there's a bit of stretch but you know that they'll hold their form. Yeah. 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 So they were definitely like my, my top jeans. They're your top And if you're a big curvier, I do think they're great. Just say it again. The straight leg. Straight leg. Just straight leg from Topshop. Mm. They're really, really good. Yeah. See, I, I started, I, it's like, uh, I changed my jean game when, uh, in my later 20s, when I started to get a, invest a little more in jeans. Yeah. Like, I got a pair of page jeans and a pair of frame jeans. And they, and then the Levi's. And I still have all of them to this day. And they, I find, so much more flattering than the Topshop ones, mm. even though I did love them. But I would literally wear them until the crotch, oh, yeah. like, wore out. Mm. I would buy, have to buy so many of them. <laughs> Just buy shares in Topshop. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, it's funny. I, I, I wonder if, I wonder if maybe the quality is different. It's the quality, because the more stretchier jeans, let's say, with the Jamie and the Jonies, which would be very popular, and I would have worn them. And I still probably wear them today. They're just they're not that thick denim whereas yeah. the straight leg jeans are they're thick denim like they are and they don't have that stretch yeah. that the other styles would I never liked the the uh, the Baxter was it and the you yeah. know those those particular mm-hmm. they're remember, the light yeah those kind of lighter stretcher denim from Topshop they never worked for me mm-hmm. they just they're didn't have enough structure better. for yeah. me mm-hmm. and I, I I felt like they were almost verging on the jegging kind yeah, of that's, they you know, vibe for me mm-hmm. so um, I think in terms of high street probably the 
best ones I found for me were in Zara actually which is not somewhere I would have ever thought to to go for denim but I did get a couple of really really good pairs in Zara but like you I did start investing in I guess we call it designer denim um, many years ago and um, I mean I think J Brand is incredible Mm. I mean that's my favourite brand definitely I I have pairs from like 12 13 years ago that are still in great shape have washed really really well like you said they have that structure but they're soft they're comfortable to wear they feel they feel nice on so they're I really like J Brand and I must admit though for anyone out there who's thinking yeah I'm not spending 300 euro on a pair of jeans I agree I always get them in the sale yeah, I just that's what I, I always look out for jeans in the sale. I mean, they're good idea. they're they're racked up in stores, like and yeah. they're they're down to sort of like they're down to high street prices in the sales. So and because um, everyone is different, so different in terms yeah. of sizes, you yeah. are more likely to find absolutely. Your own. There's always lots there at the end. So um, definitely, you don't think you have to spend sort of outrageous amounts of money to get that quality of denim like they really it's really easy to find them in the sales like but and AG is another brand actually that I've bought in um, in Seagreen in Monkstown and and they've been fantastic really nice brand as well and with jeans as well I think what's really important is it is a lot of trial and error and I think because I used to listen to like kind of stylists and they'd always say oh bootcut jean will really suit you whereas I didn't like bootcut jeans so I thought they'd accentuate the bad parts and they kind of say oh stri- stay away from skinny jeans or skinny jeans were what I lived mm, in Yeah. so I think because every woman's body is different and your own personal taste is a lot different yeah. you really have to go by your own yeah. standards and really try and I know it can be really strenuous like and it's it can be tough but when you yeah. find a good pair of jeans I mean they're done really right like you're going to have them and they, they do make you feel like your best self, though. They do. There is something yeah. about denim that when it's when it's right, it makes you feel like it's your so best effortless self. as well. It's funny, like when you're talking about Aideen, the that jeans are so heavily um, linked with emotion that more than most yeah. clothes types that they Massively. seem to be really, really heavily linked. Mm. It's really interesting. I also think, like you know those, you know those kind of charts that you see, like if your pair shape wear these jeans. Yeah. If I can do give one tip to people out in the public. Don't listen to those things. Definitely they don't. Not. You cannot be put into a category as a woman with a body. Yeah. You, nobody is a pear or a lemon yeah. or whatever yeah. else they are. <laughs> you know? Any piece of fruit. Yeah, yeah, any fruit. We are not fruit. <laughs> we are people with different bodies. Go and try things on. Yeah. You know, that's 100%. The only, the only way you I can do, do it. I do think it's great, though, that we've, we've sort of gotten over the obsession with the skinny jean because I do yeah. think that was very off putting for a lot of women when, yeah. when everyone was wearing skinnies and it seemed like there was no other style of no jean that, that you could wear um, and I, I think that was really off-putting because yeah. they're hard work skinny jeans are hard work yeah. you yeah. know on a, on a good day great but oh but I think gosh. they were marketed though a lot as something for a certain type of body shape I do think that because I've talked to a lot of people they do like skinny jeans again like it's personal preference but I think a lot of it was like oh you had to be really you had to be like Kate Moss mm. yeah. that was always that's like the pin up but nobody like, is and, <coughs> and, and I think that's yeah. why not even Kate Moss is like Kate Moss yeah. no. exactly <laughs> <laughs> that needs no further explanation <laughs> explanation <laughs> but I, I do think um like you say, you know, now there are so many different styles, you know, flares, the wide leg, cropped, mm-hmm. you know, straight, mom, God, I mean, you know. And they're all a, available. They're all they're available. They're all there in the stores and it's not all about skinny anymore. And because skinny jeans are hard work. Mm. You know, they they make you analyse every lump and bump and, you know, twist and whatever in your body. And who needs to do that on yeah. a Monday morning? And Marie, you were saying the other day, which I thought was really interesting, is looking at denim and how it's being reworked 
to different things, not just jeans. The different designers now are doing Absolutely. interesting things. Absolutely. Over the last few years, there's been an awful lot of um, denim reimagined on the catwalks. And actually, now I should have done my research, um, but um, I think it was Carolina Herrera by the last year or the year before did an incredible collection of you know Amazing. gowns that was yeah. made from yeah. beautiful indigo soft denim and it really just shows you what a versatile fabric it is though yeah. and I think I've always loved that um, you know that juxtaposition that happens in fashion between glamour and utilitarianism mm. and I think denim you know lends itself to that sort of you know contrast so so well yeah. um, and I think that's why it's so easy to stamp your personality on a look involving denim, mm, yeah. because yes, it's it's utilitarian in its in its sort of essence or origin. But and yes, you can go with that kind of utilitarian look, and that's fabulous. But it's you know you can just do a a, a beautiful contrast and glam it up massively if mm. that's kind of the person you are. And there's so many ways to kind of dress it, to, yeah. to dress it and put your own stamp on yeah. it. And, and it's so ingrained, like it's like a term now, like jeans and a nice top. Yeah, like jeans that and is a nice top. That is a thing. Like yeah. well, it was it the really I mean, is. it was the nineties. I mean, you yeah. know, we would have been out about in the yeah. 90s and it, it really was yeah. but it but it definitely I've, I've seen uh, editorial in some magazines where it's sort of like we're bringing back the yeah. nice jeans and a top you know <laughs> classic did you guys wear denim jackets ever yes I did I, I had a Levi one. Oh god I was mad. I loved I couldn't be separated from my denim jacket no, I when I, was, I ever had one funnily enough I loved it I remember it buying like it in London 18. yeah yeah, I bought it in a vintage store and I thought it was so cool. So cool. I was like 16 and I came home walking down the street and the soul being like, just back from London from a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me go. Yeah. And there was this unwritten rule with denim jackets as well that you couldn't wear, like if it was a light denim jacket, you couldn't wear light jeans or at least there yeah. was among my gang of friends. I think definitely, yes. <laughs> Bizarre. Like you'd have to wear dark denim jeans if you're wearing a light jacket or else, you know, you'd be wearing like a Canadian tuxedo yeah. type yes. job. <laughs> because remember, wasn't it, was it the early noughties? I could be getting my time frames completely all over the place here, but wasn't it really the early noughties when um, double denim came in as, yeah. in as in the same yeah. the same type of denim, like yeah. same colour, same wash, whatever. And that was quite like, that was that was daring. That was kind of a big sort of <laughs> new, fresh idea, like that you'd wear a double <laughs> denim and you wouldn't mix up your washes or your yeah. colours. Whereas now it's, you know, so normal. Yeah. It's everything like it's boiler suits, it's yeah. skirts, it's yeah, jumpsuits. It's everything. Yeah, it's I love. Everything. I have a denim jumpsuit. I love it so yeah, much. It's gorgeous. That's a fun I absolutely one. love it. Yeah. You know, I just bought one and I'm mm. excited to see how it goes. Head over to Image.ie now to see Aideen in her denim boiler suit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thank guys. you. This week's guest on the show is Andrew Bell, one of the most exciting young designers to emerge from Ireland in years. Andrew is currently finishing up his master's in the Royal College of Art in London, there on a Kildare Village scholarship. This is the second scholarship that Kildare Village have awarded, and they are currently in preparation to commit to a third with the RCA as part of their ongoing support of Irish design. This week, I'm joined by a fantastic young designer whose name you might not know yet, but we think he's going to be a bit of a superstar and someone that our listeners really need to know about. Welcome to Smart Casual, Andrew Bell. Hi, Marie. Thanks for having me on the programme today. Now, Andrew, just to explain to our listeners, you're about to finish your MA in fashion design at the Royal College of Art in London. And it was the Kildare Village Fashion Scholarship that made this possible for you. So, Andrew, how did it feel to win the award and what has it meant to your career? Well, it really is one of those life-changing opportunities. Um, And 
you know, hair still stand on end when I think back to that email saying that I won the Kildare Village Fashion Scholarship. Um, basically giving me this opportunity to study at the number one postgraduate art and design university in the world um, in a master's for something I'm so passionate about. It really was completely life-changing. So many doors have opened through that opportunity. I've met and learned from fantastic tutors. I've um, opened my process up to working with fantastic technicians using incredible facilities at the Royal College of Art and Really, it's I really stepped up my game in terms of what I'm about um, and my aesthetic and my kind of understanding of what fashion is and can be through all of those opportunities which have come from Kildare originally. Amazing. Absolutely. It's an incredible initiative. Really, really is. Um, and Andrew, just to go back, I guess, to the beginning, um, you're obviously you're a graduate of NCAD here in Dublin. Um, did you always want to be a fashion designer? Yeah, I think it's a funny question because I suppose you just kind of end up where you are in life. I think um, I always had a passion for how things were made. And maybe in younger years, I think I would have thought maybe I would have been an architect or, you know, an engineer or something along those lines. I was obsessed with how things fit together, how things are constructed. Lego, connects, Meccano, Capsella, they're all these kind of... Um, toys of maybe a, a kid who's, who's kind of interested in how things fit together and actually fashion allows that and at NCAD I really kind of got my first glimpse of that in terms of pattern cutting and garment construction and we got some fantastic skills there we had a very small class there were 13 people in my class and the tutors were fantastic in kind of giving us that training on cut and proportion and silhouette and really within the first week of doing that test trial in my core year at NCAD, I was kind of hooked. You knew you were sort of where you meant to, where you're meant to be. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So I guess, are, are they the anchors really for a fashion designer, the, you know, the, the pattern cutting, the, you know, those elements that you learned in that first week, two weeks in NCAD? Yeah, well, there's many ways to approach fashion design. If we think of designers like Peter Pilato or Mary Catranzo, we think of colour, we think of textile and texture. For me, I'm slightly the other end of the spectrum. I'm about silhouette, shape, colour, cut, proportion. Um, everything I did at NCAD was very much about tailoring um, and kind of volume. And that has followed through for me. So designers like Jill Sander or kind of designers who've come from a more tailored background would be more like where I, where I would find my leaning. Yeah. And so tell me, just based on what you're saying there, um, who is the Andrew Bell consumer? Or who will she be when you graduate? Who will she be? Um, I think it's a woman who really loves tailoring, um, but also is kind of tired of the same old kind of luxury, in inverted commas. So it's someone who is interested in new designers, new ideas, new ways of thinking. The clothing I'm making at the moment, I'm working towards this future tailoring aesthetic. So I'm kind of recontextualizing what future tailoring could be. I'm making tailoring using sonic welding technology and taping technology and the garments fold completely flat. So it's this idea of creating something that's recognizable on the body as sort of the traditional lines of tailoring, but constructed in a wholly new and hopefully innovative way. So taking, I suppose, classic and future and putting them together. So I think it's somebody who's quite directional and someone who's courageous and wants to look sharp and 
Yeah, I think that's kind of who I'm busy. I like the sound of her. I think I want to be her. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could be. <laughs> um, so it sounds like a very um, technical course um, as well as creative. And um, the last time I interviewed you, Andrew, you said something that really interested me. You said that you think studying at an art and design college doesn't make you less academic than someone who studies law or medicine. And I thought that was a really interesting comment and maybe something that maybe maybe uh, you know a remark that people would be surprised by yeah i yeah it's one of those things i think design is sometimes overlooked particularly in terms of fashion design i think we're very often considered as the people who put the fluff on things and the feathers and i think um fashion is something that impacts all of us it's something that we engage with every single day it's one of the first things we think about and it's one of the last things we think about when we plan what we're going to wear today tomorrow or the next day i think at the royal college of art fashion is is considered highly intellectual um we write a dissertation as part of our practice so i've written a 10,000 word dissertation on future of luxury so what is luxury um in an era of excess so kind of uh, the elasticity of luxury was the title of the dissertation okay. so yeah exploring what luxury can mean when everything already exists through mass mass production and globalization and thinking if fashion is this way that we communicate who we are through materials mm-hmm. what does that mean when there is so much stuff available all the time and what is luxury? So I think at the Royal College of Art, we really learn to kind of think deeply about what fashion can be, where it has come from, and our positioning, most importantly, within that. So it's very much the future of fashion. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And tell me, Andrew, um, why women's wear in particular? Because um, as I always say, if I was a fashion designer, I'd be designing for myself, pretty much like Victoria Beckham does. So I always find it fascinating when young men um, choose women's wear over men's wear. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's that kind of that other thing. I think I've had two brothers, so we're a house of three boys. And I don't know, maybe I think there's more creativity with women's wear. But within that comment, my work is quite borrowing of the traditional menswear wardrobe. It is the jacket and it is the suit. I guess so, if you, like you say, if you focus on tailoring. Yeah, it comes from that like very traditional background. I think I like the creativity that you can bring to it, though, within women's wear. There's a lot more rules within men's wear. I think as well, if I was designing for myself, I don't know, I might get a little bit narrow. I might just design exactly what I want. And I kind of love when I get to work with other people and to design something that they love and that they want. And there's nothing more transformative than watching someone pull on a jacket and, you know, when it just fits right on the cross back and on the bicep and it feels right and um, yeah I don't know that, yeah. that's an exciting moment for yeah, you yeah definitely yeah, yeah. Um, so in you know in college it sounds like you're encouraged to be incredibly creative you know avant-garde even if if that's the direction you want to go in and I'm wondering do you see it as a challenge going forward when you do graduate from your MA um, commercialising your aesthetic or your um, designs do you think you'll have to do that yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I, I've, I've worked commercially pre coming to the OCA, um, and I think there is something really exciting about that too. As a designer, you want people to be able to have your stuff. 
so much of fashion is about desire and fulfilling that desire for somebody is really exciting so on the MA yes we are we lean towards creating these very avant-garde and quite often speculative kind of visions but I find it really exciting to kind of break it down as well and to create maybe a bag or a simpler version of a jacket or a kind of an undergarment which can kind of anchor your vision and that customers can kind of buy into and have a piece of the pie if it were. So you feel you can kind of offer both? Totally. When, when going yeah. forward from, from your label? Yeah, exactly. I mean... I want people to be able to wear what I'm creating and I want people to be able to want uh, what I'm creating. I think it's actually something that they do push at the OSCA alongside our more kind of creative or kind of speculative endeavours. Um, we've we've been working on a really conceptual fragrance project, but alongside sort of having these really kind of immersive sessions, kind of speaking with psychologists about like the kind of about the impact of uh, scent and fragrance on the mind and, and our choices and decisions and kind of having workshops with perfumers. It's also about helping us think how would we position ourselves in the market and how would we actually make that money to constitute doing a show four times a year and a showroom maybe in Paris afterwards. So the business aspect can actually be really exciting. And interesting as well, yeah. yeah. And I, I think just being able to combine both is a huge achievement and, you know, um, kind of an exciting prospect, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's really, it's good not to th- see creativity and business as binary. I really think that they, when they work together, it can be really, really exciting. Mm. So on that note, which designers do you think achieve that? Well, <laughs> I think it is designers who have been given freedom for creativity in the beginning. Um, I think when we look back at Jill Sanders' early work, like when she actually worked at the brand herself, it was really something that, you know, those black and white photos that we all kind of have and kind of refer to and kind of, yeah, I think I really love how she captured exactly what she wore for other people at that time. Um, her business relationships were a little bit tumultuous over time so maybe not the best example but I think another designer I really respect is Phoebe Philo and what she did at Celine and I think it's a fantastic example of what creative freedom and business can achieve so it's an LVMH brand I mean she's no longer there now as we know but she actually made decisions to shrink the brand when she first um, took over and that is so admirable in an era where there's so much It's a much brave decision isn't it? Brave decision but to it shows the value of controlling and maybe having less and actually making more with less and having a customer that then actually has even more desire for mm. what is less mm. Um so, yeah, I really, really respect what Phoebe Philo did. I would love her to come back to the industry. <laughs> She's on a hiatus at the moment. Yeah, I, th- sure. I think we're all hoping she'll come back. Yeah. And out of interest, what do you think of the new Celine? Well, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not for me. Um, Eddie Slimane's vision, I don't know. It's not, it's not, it's very different. It's, it's basically what Yves Saint Laurent was when he was there. And... Yeah, it's kind of the merry-go-round musical chairs of um, fashion designers and it kind of, um, it kind of grates with actually everything that we learn to value as designers, that you build an aesthetic and that you incrementally add to it and then to kind of just tear the label away and start afresh. Rip it apart. Yeah, it's kind of a bit... 
doesn't make sense, does it? No. Really? No. Yeah. When when we were talking outside before we came into the podcast, you mentioned that Jaws Deacon had vi- visited your studio, I think, recently. And I imagine just being at the Royal College of Art, you must get access to incredible people and um, incredible industry insiders. Yeah. Can you yeah. Kind of tell us a few more? Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jaws was actually in yesterday as well. He's a visiting lecturer. We have him all the time. I mean, it's amazing to think that you get to sit down with someone like Jaws Deacon, an amazing designer for an hour long tutorial where you talk to him about all of your ideas and your concepts and developments and to hear words of encouragement. is It's also amazing. So he feeds back to you personally then, does he? Oh, totally. Yeah. Like Incredible. Would, would send on like one on one feedback via email or whatever. Um, he was in our end of year presentations and said some really nice things. He's it's really it's really inspiring. Other people are always passing through as well. People who've worked in industry for years with fantastic positions. Um, we had also kind of industry partners in this week. I had a presentation with the new director of Cartier. Um, Christopher Bailey was in on Monday at our work in progress show. Wow. And yeah. And I was kind of pulled into um, a little mini tutorial stroke conversation with him that went on for about 10 minutes, maybe 15. And how was he? Yeah, so grounded. He's so grounded to think like, I mean, Burberry's such a global brand and to think that he was He made it, that that, that sort of global brand. Brought it back from where it was. I think it had... From just a heritage brand to sort of a high fashion heritage brand, I guess. Yeah, kind of like... Um, Britain's kind of answer to Louis Vuitton like it's so um, yeah amazing to meet him and yeah there are so many doors that open at the Royal College of Art and very exciting people to meet and sometimes you do kind of pinch yourself in those moments can't believe I'm here yeah yeah <laughs> and you're making a pair of sunglasses for Grace Jones is that right yeah so again like another project we had last year was this eyewear project so it was actually last year's work, but um, just really, I just was really inspired by that documentary that Sophie Fines made um, called Bloodlight and Bami. It was in, released last year. It's on Netflix at the moment. And I decided to design these frames around Grace and I became totally fixated by her, her world, her music. And I wanted to make the frames to measure her face. I just had this bizarre, mad idea that I wanted to achieve this. And... Um, I reached out to the director of this documentary who had followed Grace around for seven years making this documentary and had cut it and put it together in her apartment in London um, with actually with Oisín Byrne, coincidentally, the, the Irish artist who I had known from my time at NCAD. So lots of little overlaps um, eventually led to me receiving an email back from uh, Sophie uh, to say that I could call around to her house because she had a cast of Grace Jones's face and that unfortunately Grace was in Jamaica um, and that she was really excited that I loved the documentary and that I could call around. So Fantastic. Yeah, and sort of six-hour tea and chats in her house, or actually white wine if I remember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I measured the cast and again, we were working with this fantastic eyewear company called Cubits. Uh, and they let me borrow all their equipment. Measuring the face is so exciting, something completely different to maybe measuring the body for tailoring, but of course. similarly really technical. They have six or seven different instruments that they use. It's wow. highly specialised, something, again, I'd never even thought about pre um, the Royal College of Art. 
So I made the frames to measure her face. I still haven't fully finished them, but eventually they will be going to her. Um, other projects have kind of come in as they do. But um, You're a busy guy. I'm a busy guy. But yeah, that's happening as well. It's so exciting. And the frame design is actually inspired by her kind of onstage, offstage persona. So it's it's resin with um, trapped uh, kind of splinters of glass, cigarette ash mm, and wow. purple plastic all melted and molten together in this kind of one kind of edgy kind of um, kind of design shape. Yeah. Sounds incredible. Sounds absolutely incredible. Thanks. And Andrew, do you think um, that your Irishness feeds into your aesthetic at all, your design aesthetic? Yeah, I think... In terms of like, I would say I've definitely been shaped by having studied in Dublin. Mm. I think skill is something that is, skill and craftsmanship is something that's really important in Ireland. And having learned from a fantastic technical team, Sandra and Anne at at NCAD back in the day, that was really drummed into us. And Mm. I remember those um, second year Tuesday afternoon uh, technical sessions, learning how to sew an invisible zip and a regular zip and a top stitch zip and kind of drumming that into you. And, and we were genuinely slightly terrified that we'd get it wrong. <laughs> and when I think back, we were so young. Um, but yeah, I think Irish people have that drive. I think as well, having not done my BA in London was so good because it meant you weren't in that limelight. It can be a lot of pressure. You can very suddenly shoot to sort of a fantastic job, kind of star job with an LVMH company after four, three or four years at Central St. Martins, for example. And that can be a bit of a whirlwind. Maybe was, too much too soon. Yeah, I think it was great to have got a really formative grounding here in Dublin and also the hunger and the drive to want to go forward to London. And I think that's something really Irish, like having interned in London in my summers as well. It was often remarked that that students from NCAD and, and Limerick School of Art as well, that Irish people, we were so happy to be in London and excited to be there. We were always up for the challenge. You appreciated the, yeah. the, the chance to be there. Exactly. Um, so you're building up to your graduate show at the moment. How intense is that? It's in June, isn't it? Yeah. Um, coming up, it's crunch time now, I have to say. Um it's fantastic, though. I mean, I have about four months left to the show. Um, it is very long days, probably kind of 15, 16 hour days, at least three or four times a week. I mean, the studios are open seven days a week. Mm-hmm. So I'm in there usually at nine in the morning and sometimes I leave at midnight and it's an hour either side traveling home to where I live on the right. tube. Yes. That is very long and sounds very tiring. Is that how do you sustain that for the next four months? Um, is it just the excitement it's and the, the excitement adrenaline? it's the adrenaline you don't want to go home you want to stay at it you want you know when the technician comes along to lock the machine <laughs> you get a bit frustrated because you just want to <laughs> keep using that machine and I think my mind never stops and I'm always thinking of new ideas and I want to work on shoes and I want to make some bags and I want to make some suits and I want to make some glasses and I want it I want it all you know so I think I think the next four months is going to be about time management and focus 
Um, and definitely it's going to be about those long days and those long, late nights and early mornings. But I think it's totally worth it. Mm, no, absolutely. I'm so excited because I'm going to be at your graduate show and I cannot wait. I really cannot wait. Um, it's yes. going to be a highlight this year for me, for sure. So, Andrew, we talked about the Andrew Bell Consumer Shopper. Is your goal to have your own label when you um, graduate or do you see yourself look at, you know working for luxury brands for a period of time or how do you see the future? I think... The future is a funny one. Um, I think it's really hard to know what's around the corner. So I very rarely will kind of say what I think I'm what I think I'm going to do or what's going to happen. Um, if I think back to just two years ago, who knew I would have even won this scholarship and been here talking to you today? So I would say I definitely do want to work in industry. I've got that um, appetite for that. And I want to work in a luxury brand probably for 18 months and then maybe see who I've met. You never know who you're going to meet along the way. But after that kind of period of time, I would love to maybe come back to London. So I would, would love to go to Milan and work maybe for a year and a half in industry, come back to London and maybe have a think about starting my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you never know. It could work the other way around. The show is a fantastic time to meet people. You never know what opportunities there are. There's also studios which are run by the Alexander McQueen Foundation. So after he passed, um, extremely generously, uh, trust was set up in his honour called the Saraband Foundation. And they are consistently there to support young designers in their endeavours. So they have studios and they have regular talks and events and sort of business talks for young designers and also kind of creative Skillshare talks as well. Um, I would definitely be giving them an email. Andrew, um, I guess it goes without saying that you would encourage anyone to apply for the Kildare Village Scholarship. Yes, um, undoubtedly, even if you have a small inkling that you feel you need to push your own design work, if you feel you have that thing inside you that you need to get out and materialise, I would definitely apply for it. It has been really life-changing for me. Um, And I, I really hope it will be for other people after me. I'm sure it will be. Oh, Andrew, thanks so much for coming in today. It really has been a pleasure talking to you and I cannot wait to see your end of year show and and I hope to be an Andrew Bell shopper one of Uh, these days very soon. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the programme. I'm really excited to see you again in June. This episode of Smart Casual was brought to you in collaboration with Kildare Village. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, make sure to rate, review and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. 